Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom and State. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347 324 Hello, this is the Gist of Freedom. You listen to Leslie Gist and our very, very special guest author, Mrs. Francine Steele Hicks. Ms. Hicks, are you on the line? Yes, I'm here. Great. Um, Ms. Hicks, you come from a long legacy, the Steele family. I'm a big, big fan of the Steele family. I've been going to your reunions, I think, for the last 10, 15 years or so. Could you just tell the audience who the Steels are? And so many of them. So <laughs> <laughs> Where do you want me to begin? And you want me to um, begin start with the underground, the underground Railroad Connection, um, and then we'll talk about your two books, the latest books that you've written and published. Okay. Uh, we could start all the way back to Levin, uh, the father of Dr. James Still and William Still. Mm-hmm. Um, at the day and time when he worked hard enough and his slave owner uh, respected him, some of the um, enslaved people were able to pay their way out of slavery. He worked hard enough um, to gain the respect of the owner, his slave owner. And he uh, had mentioned he'd rather die um, reaching for freedom to die on a plantation. So he worked hard enough, saved up enough money, paid his way out of slavery. And um, he wanted to come back for his family. At the time, his wife's name was Sydney, And he had told her they had four children at the time, Levin Jr., Peter, Mahala, and Katoa. And he was going to come back for them and take them back to freedom. He made his way through um, the eastern shores of Maryland into the southern parts of New Jersey. Now, this is where, for myself, and I like to bring it to people's attention, you know, you don't hear it much, but there had to be an underground going on then. And this was in the um, late 1700s. So someone had to work with him to get him across the Delaware River, and he made it through into New Jersey. Charity sat back, and she waited for him. At that time, her name is still Sydney, and waited for him. And um, I don't, we don't have, it's not a recorded history, what happened in between that time, when she decided that she was going to escape with her four children. 
and this is why I go through the matriarch and um as being a strong foothold in the family and even for these two brothers, James and William and Samuel and the rest of the family. Uh, she wanted her children not to be raised on the plantation to go through what she went through. So she took her four children. She waited till everybody was calm and everybody was settled. And she wouldn't tell the children because, especially the two older ones, um, Levin Jr. at that time was nine years old. Peter was six. And she wouldn't tell them because she knew, you know how children talk, Leslie. They'll they'll blab to everybody we're going to leave. So she grabbed her four children. She waited till dark. And I always tell people, when you hear a story, you got to visualize it to experience the pain and the suffering that this one, especially this one particular mother. And I said the underground started with her, with that family, really, because she became the underground for her children, children's freedom. She escaped into the night, and I tell people, visualize, listen, get in the car driving from Maryland to, to New Jersey, South Jersey is a distance. Even today with the roads, I would not walk them from Maryland to here. So can you imagine in that day and time with four little children with you and going through the woods? So she had to have assistance in some way or form because I always bring the attention to people. You know, um, she couldn't swim the children across the Delaware into New Jersey. So the underground was going on then at that time. So as she was going through the woods, she got caught. And um, they took her back. But they said, we're going to fix you. The hunters, they said, we're going to fix you. And we're going to separate you from your children. You will not see them. So they put her far away from her children. They put her up in the attic because they said if she was left on ground floor, she would try to to free, um, free herself again. So they left up there for a couple of weeks. And so Charity, very smart, she started humming and singing like she was content. And they said, oh, she's content with her situation. She's not going to escape again. We're going to let her come down and she go back to the fields and working again to the slave quarters and everything. So she waited a while. She waited a while. That's why you must have a strategy in our life. She had a strategy. But she knew she couldn't take her to all four of her children this time. So she had to make a heartbreaking decision. I have two sons myself, and it would break my heart to leave them behind. But she knew she couldn't take them with her on her second escape. So she decided to take her two younger daughters, uh, Ketura and Mahala, and she didn't say anything to her sons, but she slipped away again at night and left her sons behind. And I'm saying you have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and you're going through the woods. The babies want to cry. You want to keep them quiet because they will get caught. So she had to do all of this with those two little girls. And then she made it up. Someone, that's why I keep saying there's not recorded record of who met her at that river. 
made it to New Jersey. She took the two little girls with her. And they tell the story James tells in his book, you know, how Levin, she knew where to go. Everything was set up. She knew where to go. And she came up the road, and he saw her. And he went running to her to take her and, and um, the two little girls. But one of the little girls, Kator, had passed out from the journey. And he had to go back down the road and pick her up. So we talk about the underground. I say it started with the mother. Even if someone was there to meet her, she had the determination in her heart. I'm just running my mouth. <laughs> she yes. had the determination in her heart. She became the bridge to bring those children over. And right. then they began building their family from, you know, from that point on. Now, so can, I, we, can we bring in William Still and the Vigilance Committee and, and his relationship to his mother and his long-lost two brothers? Oh, yes. I did uh, Benita... Gene Still Austin had me do some illustrative artwork, primitive work, to tell the story of um, of William's story where um, he meets his brother. And James speaks of the story in his book also. And it's it's a beautiful story because what they did with the two boys after they found out that Charity had escaped... Um, the slave owners were very upset. The plantation owners were really upset that she outsmarted them and made this escape, but she left her two sons, and they made a statement, we'll fix her. We're going to send her sons further into the south. She will not be able to come back and find her two sons. So they took Peter and Levin Jr. further south and, and sent them to Alabama sent them into Alabama. Now, if the story goes on in between, you know, Levin Jr., he dies um, in Alabama in slavery from um, being beaten to death. Uh, then Peter, he survives from it. So as the years go by, Peter never forgot his mother. He never, you know, and his father, he always wanted to to find a way he could get to them. So as all this is going on, you know, on the, on the east of to Ohio, the slave, you know, enslaved people escaping and the underground going on, um, no one thought he would get to that point where he would save up his money and buy his way out, the same as his father. At the same time, William, he's the youngest, of 18 children. They said she had about 21 children, but uh, four of them died. So Charity <clears throat> William grew up, and he saw what went on, and he saw, you know, what his family had went through and inspired him. So he went on into Philadelphia. He worked. He worked as a janitor at first, and then he was so smart. When William was in school, when he came to math, he was so bright. He could figure numbers out real quick, even as a child. He used to work by candlelight at a fireplace. He would sit at the fireplace 
and he would just read. He would just read. He had two books. Two books he had. One book was the Bible, the New Testament, and the other book was a spelling book. Because that's all they were allowed in that day and time, basically. It was the commonly, I believe it was, a spelling book that they were allowed to have. But he would study. So as he grew up to be a young man, he went into Philadelphia for a job. And he got the job at the abolitionist office. And first he was a janitor. Then his work was so excellent, they decided to move him up where he would work for the paper. And then he got involved with the underground, you know, helping escape enslaved people. So one day, Peter, when others go, you know, this is, you know, two big stories going on here. And Peter, making his way, he had five children and he was married, but he was making his way to the east the Northeast because he wanted to um, find his family. He wanted to find his long-lost mother. They speak of the mother a lot. They speak of charity a lot. The sons do. So um, he made his way up to Philadelphia. And uh, he met, I forgot uh, his name, right off bat, Peter's uh Oh, Reverend Bias? Oh, it was uh, Irishman. That oh, you mean the Freedman? Jewish, Jewish brother? Freedman was one of them. But he made his way up, and oh, I tell, his, keep it going. Don't worry about tell it. his story all the time. And he helped uh, Peter make it up here. He gave him the money, you know, his support and everything. So he's walking down the street, he's walking to Philadelphia. Arch Street, where the abolitionist office is at, and he sees the sign up there. He says, "Oh, I'm gonna go there, and they can help me find my family." And um, he walks into the office, and this man has his back turned away from him, and he taps him on the shoulder, and he says, uh, "Excuse me, sir. You know, he has the southern accent." Excuse me, sir, I'm looking for my family. Could you help me? This young man turns around, and he says, uh, could you describe your mother, give her a name and everything? So they're talking, and next thing you know, William says, which Peter didn't know at this point, William says to him, he says, you're my long-lost brother. He greets him. He says, you're my brother. Because all the information he gave him was about his family, William's family. And he said, you are the brother my mother cried and mourned for. And they embrace each other. He says, let me let me take you to her. And then they headed back to New Jersey. And Peter gets to spend time with his mother and with William. But William, he was... He, he was um, he was fearless, you know, um, and anything in life, we do our dreams, we have to be fearless. We have to believe in what we do. We have to have passion. And he was he was set to go by his own beliefs inside. 
and he was really into being, that's how he comes, becomes from an abolitionist to a conductor. Because of the stories that were coming from his own mother, he saw her pain. His own father, his pain, and the stories. So this became a part of him. Even his brothers, to see what his brothers went through, even with Dr. James, with the prejudice and everything that's going on with the poverty, this made William work even harder. And that's why he put his own life on the line. Because in that day and time, which you know, Leslie, anybody got caught documenting the stories um, from escaped, enslaved people, they would be in prison. But he was smart enough. Another, He picked up another good trait. After the, his mother, he used strategy. He documented the stories, and he would hide them in a crypt. He says, "Where you know, where can I um, put these papers where nobody would go? Everybody's afraid of the graveyard. <laughs> I don't know why. So he knew to go to the grave site and hide them in a crypt. And he builds his story about helping people. Uh, he becomes not only an abolitionist, he becomes an activist. You know, he's an advocate for all freedoms. Right. And basically that story, he, you know, sometimes we have to step outside of the box, which they have a story of Henry Box Brown. Literally. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Literally, he steps outside of the box upside down. <laughs> but you have to, in order for us to keep the history going, there are stories, William's stories, is, it's a fabulous, phenomenal story because of the background and everything. Um, but they didn't allow prejudice, they didn't allow poverty to stop them from doing what they had to do. This is what we can learn from them. And this mm -hmm. is how we can move through it. Now, it's reported he died nearly a millionaire. Do you want to speak on that and... And you James, mean, uh, he, Dr. James Steele? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, listen, we can have a dream and a passion and everything, but we have to keep a balance. Sometimes we forget our, you know, we get very involved in our dream and passion and um, fulfilling things, but we keep a balance because he, he was a businessman too. In uh, uh, the trolley cars, which we know the story, you know, about getting the first people of color to ride the trolley cars, uh, police officers. Now, James was uh, self-made. James' story was uh, a dream of five years old. That's why I speak um, before audience. I always have my audience close their eyes. Everybody close their eyes and visualize when you were five years old. What did you want to be? You said, I'm going to be when I grow up and open your eyes. And most of the time, people look around, it's not what they were dreaming. Because we get caught into the external. So James, at the age of five, you know, the influ influenza was going throughout, you know, the pines. So the doctor came um, to... Uh, give um, injections for the influenza. And he decided, he saw him, and he's five years old, 
And he says, that's what I'm going to be one day. I'm going to help people. I'm going to heal people. But he saw the pains and stuff that happened, you know, with all the chemicals they were putting inside of people and the convulsions and stuff people would go through. So as he grew up, he says, I'm going to help people in a natural way where they won't feel the pain. He had the compassion. He had the empathy. As William had compassion and empathy for the escaped enslaved people, James had the equal compassion for um, the people that were sick. So he began um, practicing. When he was young, uh, he was about maybe about seven, eight years old, and he's playing with his friends, and he took this uh, lance. He took a stick and a piece of glass, and he went around in their community, went around in the woods and stuff with his friends. He was acting like he was a doctor, and he wrapped the glass around the stick, and he would stick people with it like it was a needle. Hmm. And then he just grew up, kept doing that. You know, he just kept looking. He experimented a lot. Um, the reason I say he was self-taught, because, he, you know, we learn by trial and error. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one story in the book where he's riding on the side of the road and he sees a snake. <laughs> so he says, I'm going to study, you know, he wanted to study botany and the animals. And so what he did was he came home. He let the snake out of the sack, his wife. Everybody was running crazy because of the children that they had. He let it loose in, into the house to see what it would do. And then he grabbed it, and then he put it in a jar. My sister Francina doesn't like this story. But he took the snake and put it in a jar of alcohol just to see what would happen, to see how you can preserve. So he started studying himself, teaching himself, but he says, I need to know more. So he went, you know, would go out into the woods. He would pray to Providence, you know, guide me into what I must do. Show me where I must go. And he took the journey himself. It took him a couple of days, but he took the journey to himself to Philadelphia. And... um he went to Philadelphia on 4th Street, and uh, he wanted the book on botany. There's so much in between, you know. Right. For the time we have, we can't hit each. But, Sorry, oh, but... Right. So I'm just mm-hmm. giving, you know, the, the points of um, transition. Right. In his life. So, he again, another brother went to Philadelphia. Well... Mm-hmm. William was the youngest, James was older, you know. So, and they had a brother, Samuel, which was the first and oldest mm-hmm. that Charity and Levin had when they okay. uh, reached New Jersey. But so you're doing an excellent job uh, talking about Oh, listen. <laughs> Do you want to bring it up to the family reunions that have been held at Clarence Dale's home? And Lawnside, Lawnside, which he could continue the tradition by building his own home, the home in Lawnside, he built with his own hands. For who? Clarence Steele. Clarence? Yes, 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 yes. 
the legacy, mm-hmm. right, the, 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 the legacy goes on. You know, the first um, reunion was at Dr. James' house. He had the first uh, reunion. Okay. And it was called, it's in, a, um, in his book, it's called The Homecoming, uh, The Early Recollections. And all the brothers, sisters, and uh, sisters met. And they wanted to celebrate, you know, um, they were talking about the Civil War. They talk about, and that's just one time, they because they're not drinkers, but they would take the currants out. You know, they made wine out of currants. And um, they all had a sip and a toast to celebrate, you know, um, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the Civil War, and all this. They they toast to that. So that was the first documented uh, family reunion. And um, Benita, before she passed, she had uh, written a, a play, a skit, on the family reunion, Homecoming is called. But um, the families still come together, and they still um, celebrate, you know. And if we could celebrate every day, it was good to get everybody together, because then they extended it, Um, uh, the the picnic or the homecoming um, at Clarence, Clarence Home in Lawnside, they extended it to other families so they could see. There were people that came up from Merlin all over, and it was a great reunion of everybody together. But what we must do is learn to still celebrate every day. And our family, you know, we were speaking before, the family is really a conduit to a transition to ourselves. You know, if we can respect each and every, there's 7 million people on this planet, and each and every person is an individual. They are unique. Our family is unique. I tell people when I do speak, I said, your family is just as important as my family. Mm-hmm. If you do your roots, you do your ancestry, you'll find you have kings and queens in your family. Our family was set up as an example, but you know, we're like all families. You know, um, you have to work at it. You know, sometimes you're going to have indifference, work through it. But we must always come together to remember, you know, wow. what brought us to this point. And this is where our history becomes our story. You know, our forefathers, my forefathers build a foundation. And we build upon it. Benita was 36 when she passed away. She was keeping family history. She was excited when she found William Still's grave. She climbed over the fence, and she celebrated. And um, But as she was laying on her dying bed, and, you know, she told my twin, I have a twin sister, Francina, and she told them, Francina, answer, she says, what about the children? What about your two, your daughter and your son? They're only little children. And she spoke to her and she says, I have laid the foundation. All they must do is build upon it. Mm-hmm. So this is when we had the family reunions and stuff. You build upon it. But then you go your separate ways and then you build upon your life story. We mm-hmm. have their story, but we have to build upon it. We're the bricks. We keep it growing. 
You know, we build the castles. We've got to make mm-hmm. sure it's not on sand. And these men here, you know, they had their flaws. I speak of it, you know, Dr. James. This is how we learn mm-hmm. through our frailties. You know, he was working out, getting up every day. He was going to work out in the pines, chopping wood and stuff like, you know, just things to just to, you know, get a couple dollars, you know, to take care of his family. Well, let's say not dollars then, it was cents. And um, he was working one place, and all the men that were working there, they were, it's on my website, uh, The Legacy of Promise. It tells a story. He start catching himself every Sunday. He would get up, and before the guys would go out into the, the fields to work, they would drink dram. A lot of people don't know what dram is, um, but it's a, a special drink that they made, Um and distilled alcohol they would make, and they would drink it before they went out into the field. And he said, it had me laugh as I was, you know, reading between the lines. And he says, he said, I was starting to like it too much. (laughs) Because he was doing it before he would go to work, and he said, nothing came between him and his dream. Mm -hmm. And that's when he stopped. I love the story of how the white physicians him as to keep him from practicing. He took his license or to bed him for um, practicing, and how he uh, came back. He lost. Yeah, he didn't everything. have a. Yeah, he didn't have a license to practice. Right. He didn't have a license to um, you um, to wait on patients. Mm-hmm. But he went and got a lawyer. Again, name so many names passed through you. Right. And. Um, and it's, you know, out there for everybody to read, you know. Um, but he has, um, what happened was they, this lawyer came, this was a white lawyer. And when you're doing good, you know, evil is always present. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't want you, it doesn't want you to succeed. It's going to try to stop you from doing your dreams. Right. But guess what? Providence. Don't start me preaching, yes. I know from my own life story, you know from your own life story, providence always comes through with sponsors. And this lawyer, this white lawyer came to me and he said, you know what, I have the papers here. And he told Dr. James, he said, you know what you can do? You don't have a license, so you can't charge people to, you know, to work with them. You know, they come to your office. But you can sell your herbal medicine. It's nothing they could do about it. And that's why when I, I go to his story, well, you know, being a direct descendant, um, I was going through some rough times in my life before I made some changes. And I went and I for about, you know, three years. I mm. needed to just chill out, you know, have some things done. And it's one story. It was white. Black Indian. His name was is renowned in the Pine Barrens, from North Jersey to South Jersey. And there's one particular story. It was this white family? They did not. The little girl's name was Mary. She was about six years old. That's in his book too. And these white people heard about this black doctor at the Pine. They tried all the white doctors to heal their little daughter. She had sores and everything over her, fever, about to die. 
So they waited to last minute, <clears throat> and they became desperate. And they said, "Listen, we got to uh, we got to contact this black doctor, James. We're about to lose our little girl. She's about to die." So the mother sent one of the sons out to go fetch this black doctor in the Pine Barrens. And this, we can just visualize it. Let's see this thing going on. We have to see it. Mm-hmm. Not just hear, we have to see through sound. So this young white boy goes and, and he tells him, he says, my mother needs you, my family needs you. Um, they want to speak to you. Dr. James is like this, oh, okay. Um, so he started off with a cigar box with his herbs putting, you know, um, and his concoctions all in a cigar box, and then he moved up. So he put all these things together in his case. He says, I wonder what they want me for. So he walks into the house. This is in the um, 1800s. He walks in into the house, and all these white people are around, and the mother's going back and forth. She's crying. You have the aunts and the uncles sitting there, the father, and the mother goes to him. She said, you have to you have to go upstairs. You have to check my daughter out. She's only six years old. Her name is Mary. But she's dying. We get we had all doc, Dr. James very calm. He says, I will see your daughter. He walks upstairs. And as soon as he walks in the room, he said, the smell. You can smell death. The poison that was coming out of this little girl's body. The sores and everything. So he went over to her, and she's laying in the bed. She has a temp- temperature over 100 and something. So he gets a cloth and everything he puts on her. And he checks her out, and he gives her an elixir to drink. And then he gives her salves for her sores. And he talks with the mother. He says, give her this every day. And he gave instructions, and he left. A week went by. He hadn't heard anything. There, Here comes the boy again, the young man again. He says, my mother wants to see you. My mother, he's all excited. My mother wants to see you. My mother. And Dr. James says, oh, no, did I kill this girl? They're going to they're gonna really, you know, they're going to hang me. They're going to kill me. So he puts his head down, but he knew he, he listened to his inner voice. He had to go. So he went, same people there, excited, going back and around. The mother says, come, 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 come. She pulls him up the steps. And as he's going up the steps, oh, yeah, as he's going up the steps, the little girl is running around. She's well. He was the only one that could cure her. But one part I did um, leave out, which was very profound, before he left her with the first visit, And he whispered, after he did everything he could, he whispered in the little girl's ear, Mary's ear. He bends down, he whispers in her ear, Mary, Mary, can you hear me? She nods her head. He says, you can heal yourself. And I believe I always ask people, was it the words that he said when he told her you can heal yourself? After he did everything he could. And that's when he had left the first time. But was it the whisper in the ear telling that or the combination of both? So a lot of people, even with William, we go back to William. 
You know, nobody knows the quiet hours that he spent alone writing, dictating stories. After he wrote their stories, what did he do when he went home, after he went to the crib? My part, you know, I try to tell people, evolve it, evolution. I want people to get to know the soul of these men, the soul of the family, the energy of these people, what drove them. Because today, I know I'm preaching. <laughs> okay. But today, Leslie, if we look at this world, we can teach our children all the history we want. I went to so many places to speak, and everyone that would come to me afterwards, most of my audience were white, mm-hmm. and they would come to me. So it's just not the black race. It's all races. It's humankind. They would come to me, and they said, what about our children? We cannot get our children. I remember Marion Buck, still Buck. We were going to meetings in Morristown, you know, and her Mm -hmm. sister Betty, which passed away, William Still from New York. Um, We had a meeting, and, and it kept coming up, and people kept asking after I would speak, how can we get our children involved? Our legacy is going to die here. Well, if your legacy is going to stop at you, you had no legacy. Mm. Legacy is truth. Legacy will never die. But the legacy is to live it for the youth. We can we have history class, and we have everything. But until we build something new... One of the last places I spoke at was in Shimong. I had two speaking engagements that week, and I was sick. I had a flu, but I went anyway. I divided the audience. I separated one part of the audience as 18, 12, one up, and the other audience was 2014. Mm-hmm. And I separated. So I would tell the stories of our history of the family's history in 1812, all the struggles that this family went through and other families. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't just uh, the Still family, you know, that was going through what they went through. It was other families that was, you know, fighting and standing, your family. Mm-hmm. And then I would bring up history or current events, let's let's. 2014 or 2013 at that time was current events. Mm -hmm. I stood back. I stood between the two sides. And I said, what's the difference? The only difference was the change of clothing Mm. and technology. It was still, even back then, they were trying to get their young people involved. Up until this moment in 2015, we're trying to get our young people involved. Our young people in the city. I grew up in Camden, Centerville, and I'm proud to say it. I tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Because it helped mold me and make me the person I am today. You know, I'm me who I was anyway. But it added yeah. some kindle to, I'm fire to the wood. Now, before you know. we move on to your book, the me I never was, can you uh, just give us a, a few um, places, historical places that are connected to the Steele family? If people want to learn more about the Steele family, some of the, the books, the documentaries, the PBS documentaries, anything you want to give oh, yeah. 
Yeah, there's a documentary, um, Lennon P. High did, um, a couple years ago, and it's called The Black Doctor of the Pines, Dr. James Still, and the Legacy of the Still Family. It's a DVD that they have put out, and um, it's a great story. You have different historians speaking on um, his experience. I know um, Vicki Still had did a DVD of William Still. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you can go online and put it And there's one in. from Canada, too. There's a, a DVD done yes. by PBS of Canada. Yes. Oh, beautiful. I, uh, yeah, that was a great informative uh, DVD that um, people can go to. It's like this. I had somebody when I was living at Palmar one time and I moved. Mm. So this man, his name is um, Italian. He has an Italian name. Like I said, I have so many names in my head and age mm-hmm. doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> And he can forgive me right now. But he contacted me from Canada. He emailed me. And he says, Francine, I went to your website and, you know, and everything. And I checked him out. God forgive me, I believe his name is James, something this Italian name. And he wrote a book on Dr. James. You know, there's a lot of books out there on Dr. James, but the best and the greatest book that I have is the early recollections that have won the originals of Dr. Jane Still and the life of Dr. Jane Still um, by Method Historical Society. They have, if you want to find anything on this family, really, I mean, you know, um, it extended to Philadelphia because that's where they made their connections. Okay. Dr. J, that's where they had to go to Philadelphia. He had to go to Philadelphia. It was a Quaker. They wouldn't sell him an herbal book on Fourth Street in Philadelphia. It's this white guy, and um, Dr. James still walks in there. He's about 19, 20 years old. He walks in there, and he says, I'd like to buy a book on um, herb, herb, herbals, you know, um, to um, for botany. So the guy looks at him. He says, I'm not selling you anything. And he just ignored him. So James put his head down. Then this man taps him on the shoulder. It was an old Quaker, a white Quaker man. He said, you want that book? He said, yes. And he told him what he needed it for. He says, I'll buy you that book. (laughs) And he says, when you want to come back... He said, I'll get you the other one. So it's like, you know, so Philadelphia, that's where it extended, because William moved to Philadelphia. He was the founder of the YMCA. Mm-hmm. We went there and had a forum, the Still Family Society. We had a forum there. Wow. And, yeah, and it still stands today, and that's what you call legacy. Right. That's a legacy. When I go, you go to the Pines, to the Pines, I'm living in the Pines now, and you hear, and you mention Dr. James' name, and I even laughed and told the audience, I said, well, I don't think he would want you to set him up as a god, (laughs) because he was so humble. He was a very humble man. Mm -hmm. You know, he was into his healing. But throughout New Jersey, on a horse and a buggy, 
you know, um, you can go throughout New Jersey and everywhere you go, especially in the Pines. Wow. Now let's talk about your book on charity. Yes, (laughs) The Little Charity. Right. (laughs) I started that in 2005. There's 48 um, Renaissance uh, watercolors in there. It took about two or three days to do each watercolor. But I said, if we do anything, we're going to do it with class, and it's going to have longevity. We want our children to have the best. I told some people years ago, I said, I'm not knocking Harry Potter or Arnon Stewart. I think they're great, but we need our story. Now, mm-hmm. inspire our children. I grew up in inner city. I taught art um, to the children in the inner city, second graders. You know, high school students, they need something to grasp on. You know, um, they need something to hold on that they can say it's theirs. So I know Benita, before she passed away, she had me do all these primitive drawings of the story of the four brothers, the three brothers, James, William, and Peter. So when she passed away, I made a promise to her, and a promise A vow is a promise kept. And I wasn't going to rest through health or anything. I was going to rest until that promise was fulfilled for her. So one of my sisters, we were talking about, you know, I was passed on, this is what Benita wanted. So eventually my twin sister, Francina, something that came to her, skeletal came to her uh, voice, you know, about no charity each taking apart charity. So she gave me these papers. I said, wow, you know, it's like you couldn't understand basically anything. So I said, I'm taking them. I'm going to make a book out of it. Give it to me. And I did the drawings. But then as I was going into editing, and I saw myself, this little girl on a plantation. Charity, for what she did as a woman with her children, Basically, you're the person you are, Leslie, if you think about it. And what you're doing now, you look at your personality, you had that character when you were a child. You got that right. (laughs) (laughs) You're right on point. Think about it. Every one of us, if we think about it, it's quite profound. We all, at the age of five, six, or seven, we were the strongest, especially at seven years old. We were the strongest. Right. And what we believed in. Right. Our character, they said today, they say our most informative years are our first five years. So don't ask me how I knew how to, at five years old I wanted to be an artist. Right. You know, I knew I was set my way. I was determined. I thought I was my mother and father's mother. The same here. My parents told me I would be a teacher. And I wanted to be a playwright, so I was fortunate enough to do the two of them. Right. So I knew this. Right. And see, through playwriting, you are teaching, because mm-hmm. what are you going to write on? Right. When you write, you have to teach. As the Holy Spirit, the whispering voice, helped me with these books. Thirty-seven years for one book. Charity, seven years to get her out there and published. And this is a children's book. But aren't our children worth the value? They deserve the best. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we undermine our children just because they're little people. Don't mean they can think. They can't think. 
their body may not have been may not be developed as ours as an adult, but their mind is fresh. It's new. I had these children in camp I was teaching at Roulette Cream. These little children, seven year old, eight year olds, they could sit in the first year class art class and tell you about cubism. They were studying Picasso. You ask them, what is parallelism? What is cubism? What is geometry? These kids were spitting off left and right. When I first got they were all over the place. But they gave a full exhibit of Picasso's work, from abstract impressionism to cubism. And they can give you the math of it also. They could pull it out. So when Charity was young, so we took it as Charity had that spirit. I said, well, I can go with this. <laughs> and I said, well, you can think about every child. I thought about myself. Um, sometimes children don't do things because they know they're going to get punished. But Charity is a little girl at seven. And we as adults, we still have that little child inside of us. All of us, I don't care if you're 80 years old, have a charity inside of you. You're determined you're going to do what you're going to do. You believe in what you believe. Some have lost it because of the veil, which goes into the me I never was. But Charity as a little girl, she believed in freedom. She believed in love. Yes, it's historical. It's based on history. That's why they categorize it as historical fiction. Mm-hmm. It's based on charity. Mm-hmm. You know, William Still's mother. Right. But the experiences on the plantation was a girl that was into everything. Mm-hmm. She was even mimicking the ancestors of doing their, um, the Arabos. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Mm-hmm. Um, they do, they, they have a special prayer they do from West Africa. And she knew she had to get uh, the pictures of her ancestors. She had to draw them because they didn't have pictures. So she got little strips of paper, and she tried to get drawn as much as she could with charcoal. And then she knew she had to set up a fire. Well, teach the kids not to play fire at the same time. <laughs> but she was saying this prayer to all of her ancestors, where she came from. And she remembered to speak in some of the language from West Africa. Hmm. And then she happens to went to blow out, and a spark went into um, to the hay. But then she, you know, had fruit. She knew to bite from each fruit and sit it down because her mother had told it to her. But she was taken to another level. There's the story of the chickens, which at the book signing, we have a book launch party for the children. I want to blow Barnes and Noble out. <laughs> I said, I want those kids screaming. I want them flapping their wings because I want them to know what to do when they get their freedom. Right. Now, we're talking about um, in the early 1700s, but look at we're 2015. This is why the story has to get out. We have to give our children something. Right. We have to give them, I, I have big plans for that, for that book, because we have to give our children something to latch onto, to hold on to. I most found last year, somebody, I got a phone call, and it's on my website, the story, because I found it most profound. In Defford, this little girl, she was supposed to, oh, she had to do a history 
They want to steal family and death for it. And so she says, well, I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do. I'm going to play the part as charity. I'm going to do my history thing on charity. And so she does uh, her history story. Here's this little, her name is, uh, her name was Regina. Here's this little white girl, typical blonde, long hair, which I said, gave, her mother calls me and says, I want to show you that this little girl, she was about nine years old at the time, did the story of charity. And she just thought the woman was just so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And so she dressed up as her, you know, and had the, the, the you know, the, the cane and everything, walking, the walking stick and everything. And so I said, well, i got to interview this girl. And, you know, when I went to the, to the city to teach her children, they didn't even know how the slaves got here. They were asking wow. me that. Yeah, wow. Leslie. They didn't know how the slaves got here. So... I went to, I called this little girl and I said, what made you do the story of charity? She said, because I don't think it has anything to do with color. (laughs) She says, our children need to be educated. Mm -hmm. That is not about color, it's about the person, it's about the character. And this little girl just went on. So I found that quite profound. I said, well, I'm going to put you on the website because I want people, I want the adults to see this. Mm-hmm. I want the adults to see this mm-hmm. because our children do not see the difference. They're looking for inspiration. So Charity, the little girl Charity, she's inspired. Her nose is in everybody's business. She's into watching them make moonshine. But she says, I think everyone should be free. Every animal, I believe we should fight. And when she let those chickens loose, she says, those chickens flapped all over. She got a whooping that day. Those chickens flapped all over the place and didn't know what Mm -hmm. to do. And she says, I hope to be like the guinea hen from West Africa, proud and free and know how to roam the land when he finds, when I have my freedom. Mm -hmm. And here's a little girl. And so... The, the story goes on of her adventures, the, the sufferings, mm-hmm. but she never let it stop her because she knew she was going to be free one day. And that brings up, up up to the history of charity still. Right. You know, I'm going to be free one day, and we're still going to be free one day. We're still fighting for that freedom. And then at the end, you know, uh, they get the story, she's an older lady sitting by the fireplace, the hearth. Which is very, I use a lot of symbolism because the hearth, hearth symbolizes the mother and the warmth, and she's drinking her tea. And she's welcoming the children back, whoever wants to come, to come back and hear her other stories. And she closes out <laughs> with um, the verse in uh, Corinthians. The greatest of these things is love, hope, faith, and charity. And that her story had to be told, and not to ever give up. And if we watch our children, you watch your child, they never give up. When we grew up, we never gave up. 
But I think we put a lot of pressure on them because they're not allowed to be themselves. So charity, she came about, took seven years to do it right. In between that time, I had surgeries and stuff. I was real sick for a while. And I don't mind telling anybody because I speak from experience. Even when I have rheumatoid arthritis, even when I um, was going out speaking, that little girl was inside of me, that charity was inside of me, inspiring me. Dr. James, self-educated. He only had three months of school. It sounds like I'm skipping, but I'm trying Mm -hmm. to prove a point. He only had three months of schooling. A lot of people use excuses, children use excuses, young teenagers, well, I don't have a college degree, and I don't, but you have a dream, don't you? You take their dream away, they have nothing. Right. Don't use that as an excuse. I went to school, I started uh, in the ninth grade, I started going to summer college because I wanted credits before I started college. So for three years, I went to Rutgers. Mm-hmm. Two years, I went to Rutgers. Upward Bound, and then Trenton State. Then I eventually went to Trenton State for a year. Went through a lot of changes in life. I found for myself, I could teach the professor. So mm-hmm. I was I was like that little girl charity. I decide that's it. You know, mm-hmm. it's hard, that poverty, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm struggling, not having. But I didn't give up. Right. I kept going for it. You know, I wasn't going to let my poverty enslave me and be back on a plantation. Right. We can allow anything. So her story, it inspires you to be yourself, to overcome any obstacle. Don't If a child can do this, the child within you can do this. Right. Don't say, oh, I need this degree. I just went and spoke uh, last week, last Monday, I had to speak to a group of children. So the parents are, you know, excited. I give them their bookmarkers and everything. They're telling me, and some of the teachers saying, they're telling you things they didn't even tell me. We didn't know about mm-hmm. their life because they were able to express themselves. But one of the parents, they're professionals, that they're, wow, you sound like, oh, wow, you have your doctorates or you, your Ph.D. or whatever. I said, no, I have a Ph.D. on life. Mm-hmm. That's everybody. I don't right. care if you do it. Your Ph.D., your profession should be life and your life experiences. So Now let's talk about your book. To me, I never was. Because you know <laughs> we've been on the line for an hour already. I know, because my fans, when you're doing all the talking... <laughs> Right, right. He's doing an excellent job. I love it, man. Don't get me going. I tell people, don't get me preaching now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, the Mia. Oh, my God. That's my, that's the mother. She's the mothership. Took me 37 years to write that book. I got offered to publish it three times, and I turned each publisher down. Because the voice within says, not yet, friend. And I'm glad I listened to that inner voice. If everybody listens to the inner voice, you can't go wrong. Um, I started writing that in 1978. My son, he was four years old at the time I was working. 
I was living in East Camden at the time. I was working at the mall as a supervisor. And, you know, you go through all your changes in life. And, girl, it was like love problems and all this stuff. You know, you grow mm-hmm. up, people not understanding you, calling you a dreamer, even to points people thinking you're a witch because <laughs> you have dreams and mm-hmm. they're coming true. You say, oh, Lord, no, I'm not. <laughs> so, I understand. Yeah. So many a times, I like got my little girl picture up on the um, refrigerator. She's five years old there. Many times she ended up crying. And because she had these dream visions that were real, I tell people, I said, listen, I'm five years old. You know, I wasn't on drugs. <laughs> I'm five years old. My imagination isn't that great. Mm-hmm. So. It's just that it was real. You know, a child, they say, if you want to know the truth, if that dress doesn't look right on you, go ask the kid. <laughs> go ahead and look at <laughs> You know, a daughter will lie to you. So, yeah, you, it's not too bad. No, you didn't gain too much weight. A child said, you're fat. <laughs> then you change that dress. So a child is, is speaking honesty. So I had a lot of experiences, which we don't have time for that right now. So they never left me. I always had dream visions. Um, in the book, it speaks of one, I wait. In the chapter, I wait. And it mm-hmm. speaks of one of the dream visions that I had on the wall as a seven-year-old little girl. And it stayed with me for the rest of my life, and I waited. And um, so as I'm waiting for this this person to come back for me, um, I went through my life experiences. And as I'm working, I said, darn, I have to get out what's inside of me because I'm tired of hearing I'm weird, I'm strange. You know, you're an artist, you can, you, you're whacked, you know. Mm-hmm. So you just keep it to yourself. And you try to comply with society and family, knowing inside this is not me, you know. So I went to work and in between customers and dealing with the employees, I would write. I'd scrap pieces of paper points, just just let my inner self out. I had my break. I would go out, you know, to the exit, the back steps, and just write. Next thing I know, people in the job, they loved what I was writing. They said, can you write me something for my boyfriend or something like that? So, next thing I know, it's piling up. So I said, well, I went home one day. I sat there. I said, look, all this paper I have sitting here, all these things I'm writing. And I heard the inner voice speak to me. And it says, give it a name. Close your eyes. And the first thing that comes to you, that's what you call it. Close my eyes. First thing Leslie came to me was, and I minored in English in college, right? Yeah. First thing came out was the me I never was. <laughs> that don't even make sense. <laughs> makes sense to me. Yeah, I'll put it down. I like it. Wait. it has a nice ring to it. Yeah, girl, wait a minute. I stood up. I said, I'm talking to the wall. I'm talking to whoever's there. <laughs> I'm saying, wait a minute. I'm standing up. And I'm, you know, if it was flying the wall, somebody probably would have thought I was crazy because I was talking to myself. They would think. <laughs> I said, that is strange. That's not even. Um, correct, you know, writing for, proper writing for English, but something says, that's it, 
then I started building and building and building and building. In between, I did my artwork. I went through my life experiences. You know, I said, I'm tired. I have to be free. See, little charity, we talk about, we start off with William. We start with James about the plantation. You know what? Our lives can be a plantation. When we walk out that door, there's no difference. When we walk out that door and we're not being ourselves, we're living, we're, we're in bondage. We have a boundless spirit. I don't care what kind of, people come to me and say, wow, you're a professional artist. I said, don't even call me that. <laughs> yeah. The me I never was is, tomorrow I will evolve. I will build my foundations of the spirit. See, our history can be used, our genealogy, our roots can be that passageway to the heart of soul. To free your spirit inside, your well, the spirit's already free, but to free your soul from all your negative experiences, all your positive experiences, they're all experiences. It's what we do with them. We can even let it bound us into slavery of the mind and those experiences, or we can let it set us free. I've chosen to be the me I never was. Because don't expect me to do this or do that. I will go by the Spirit within. And if we reach to our legacy of God, I don't, some people, they say God. Some people say providence. Some people say the upper source, you know, um, the inner source. Whatever name you call it, if it helps, takes you off that plantation of being enslaved to society. To anything use yeah. it use it it's personal it's inclusive you know yeah, the or, cover Francine the cover I love the cover you have a sword oh, yeah. that I had the sword is in my right here <laughs> I have a real sword here <laughs> <laughs> listen girl one day I always loved the sword the sword and um, it always came to me if you take the S off the front of it Mm-hmm. And you put it on the end, it spells words. Right. It says, let your words be seasoned with salt. You know, Christ says, what is it that I bring a sword? He didn't have a sword in his hand. He spoke the word, and that's why it became the word. <laughs> because it can divide the truth from the false. Mm. Say, the that lie. Again. Say, say that again. It can be what? It can divide. The truth from the false. We're to recognize evil at all costs. Anything that doesn't come to you in truth, it may be painful, but it's still truth. Like they mm-hmm. had one uh, movie, I forgot it's out there, it says, the guy says, you can't handle the truth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why exactly I put the sword there. Yeah. I walked right. around here and I asked them. I prayed. And I believe, I, I, I tell people I live in a bridal chamber. If you're looking for the bridal chamber, it exists. It's here. It's within you. And what's inside is outside. Manifest what's inside, outside. If you see turmoil, if you experience pain, because it's within. If you can change what's within, you can manifest it outwards. So I walked around here and I spoke. I I said the ascendant masters, the angels, 
my way of the light to help me listen. I have to be quiet and listen. So I walked around. I live in a little cottage. I walked around in it. And there in the bedroom, I have it set up like a little garden, and I had the sword in there. And I heard the voice said, that's it. That goes on the cover. And if you do the etymology of sword, the symbolism of it, um, as people say, divide and conquer. Um, I come to take the wheat from the shaft, to divide. And we divide through our words. But if we go back to history, our history is made of words. Some of the history is true. Some of the history are lies. That's what people like you and myself, we're here to divide. What is the truth? We have to build our foundations on truth. And the Mia Never Was is saying, don't take those labels, those strips that people put on you. If you could strip each label that was placed on you from childhood, and you have to go back through remembrance to do that. That's one of the chapters in the book. It's called Remembrance. It's scary. Mm-hmm. But that's why we have another chapter in the book called Fear. See, I didn't write this book. I was only used as an instrument. <laughs> they turned me into a trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only an instrument. Like Thank I said, we're well, the will of God. You know, I'm not here to preach to anybody. I'm not here for religion or anything. And as Dr. James put it best, the providence. What more better word you can use, the providence. Mm-hmm. And and you go into yourself. You know, you go into the woods inside of you. You go inside and strip everything. Go back in your remembrance. A lot of people don't want to do that because some, there are some bad experiences back there. Mm-hmm. But they're the same experiences that are holding you back from being you. Whatever path you've cha- chosen to take, is it really what you want to do? Some people say, well, I have to work. You know, Keep the day job. <laughs> keep your day job. But aren't you valuable? Aren't you more valuable than that? I remember I used to have the kids, they go to school, and you're raising the child. You know, Leslie, you're yeah. doing your job and everything. And then you say, when is it time for me? sacrifice those couple hours. I used to wait, make sure my husband was in bed, the children were in bed, the house was clean. And then I wrote 14 New Age classicals. That'll be coming out soon on the piano. And um, I would put my headphones on at night. I was up till 2 in the morning. Hmm. Knowing I had to get up in the morning to get the kids ready for school. So what I did was I prepared everything the night before, cereal, whatever was was sitting on the table, you know, husband's Mm -hmm. clothes was ready, you know, to go out, whatever. But I would sit up those extra hours. I would lose a couple hours of sleep because I was that valuable. The me inside of me. You know, and I tell people, a lot of people... Once you go back and, 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 and you find, go through that remembrance, to go through those bad experiences, then release them. Because guess who you're going to find standing there? That little child that's been waiting to be released. We're standing behind the child inside of us that's fighting our battles. Look at this world now, Leslie. Mm-hmm. 
there's a bunch of little boys out there playing war games. I'm going to speak honestly. I don't care. I have nothing to lose. This this world, we look at it now as a bunch of little children out there playing on a playground because the adult is still hiding behind the child inside of them. Mm-hmm. They think going to war and fighting, that's what little boys do when they're out there playing cops and robbers. That's when they're out there playing all kind of games with their little children. But they never release the child. The child is the one who has the key to your adulthood. We can talk to infinity on this one. Right. But this book is uh, how many pages? It's 290. 290. Is it, uh, does it have poems? It has poetry in there. Oh, yes. Now I'm putting out videos. You can go on YouTube. Okay. And I have about seven videos now. Um, great response, people. Um, a picture can say a thousand words. Right, I love that. Um, yeah, I have about 48 illustrative uh, drawings in the book. Um, I didn't put them in color. Some more Renaissance paintings that I took photos of and graphic design and myself. Um, it would have been too much money for it to be in color. You know, okay. They wanted sixty-seven dollars for a book. If I was going to do it in color, I said no, 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 no. It's about the message. Mm-hmm. It's about the freedom of. I'm, I'm an activist, an advocate for freedom. Now, what is this 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 uh, underlying current within your family? It looks like every generation has written books. Since We're all a book. We're all a book. But you have to just, tell your story, it seems as though it's this family. <clears throat> it's 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 everybody if you look at a lot I listened to somebody, um they came to my door the other day mm-hmm. and they were telling me, Yeah, you know, I've been writing, I've been doing a lot of writing, I've been writing everything. Um, a lot of people I'm talking to, if you look at out there, Leslie mm-hmm. There's so many books out there, as there are songs. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a walking book. A lot of people don't publish them. A lot of people, because it's, it's a lot of work involved. It's just mm-hmm. not writing a book. It's about making sure you keep the message up. And you have to make sure it's a message that is going to evolve to humankind. Mm-hmm. Um, I can go to many books, read history, study history, which I've had. I've done one time. I, my twin sister and I were doing um, a research. I was really intensely involved um, with the history of slavery and everything. I said, Francine, I called. I said, I can't do all this by myself. I'm going crazy, right? I'm trying to do speaking engagements and teaching. I said, Listen, you take it from the Mid Atlantic. To South America on up to North America, and then just you know send me the information that you find. I'll take it from the Mid Atlantic all the way to West Africa, on up to Europe and everything. She the, the information that she had found, the documentation. I love computers <laughs> and documentation. She found. She calls me, and I end up in um, Portugal. Hmm. 495 A.D., back there is slavery. And uh, because we were really trying to find out about 
you know, or family history. I really wanted to know mm-hmm. that perfectionist came inside. She gives me a call at 10 o'clock, and she says, when you meet Moses, tell him I said hi. <laughs> so she told she everything on that. I said, oh, no, I'm stuck with this all of myself. I had to make myself stop because I was at 400, 495 A.D. Oh, yeah. Where all this stuff is. Yeah, <laughs> Listen, you can get, hey, it mesmerizes you because yes. Yeah. So where do we stop? The word is not where do we stop, where do we begin? Mm-hmm. There's no difference. Now, the last question I'm going to ask you is about journaling. For people, like you said, uh, most people have a story. They don't want to publish it or they may think it's too much work. What do you say to people that, you know, have a story but, you know, are afraid to publish it? Where, how do they start? Well, for, for number one, they have to believe in the story that they're giving. They have to be inspired. And they must be inspired for them to write it. Mm. But if you say, this is just to heal myself, mm. that's fine. Not everything that you write has to be out there. But it's like a song. If I can help somebody as I travel on, my living shall not be in vain. Through even my writings, if there's one soul, it's if a thousand, and it says that in the Bible, saving one soul. He left, Christ left uh, uh, the hundred sheep, the 99 just for one sheep. Mm-hmm. And we say, we believe, we say, Oh, yes, amen. But are we willing to leave the 99 for one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the terrible way with the, the parable about the coin, the coin too, lady. Yes, yes. The one coin. Right. Yes. So if you're writing something, write it down first to heal yourself. Mm-hmm. First, you have to get out what's inside of you. How can you help someone else? Like they have a saying, which I really don't like using, but I'm going to use it for now. How can the blind lead the blind? As we see the effects of the world today, is the mm-hmm. blind leading the blind, the greed leading the greed. Yeah, one you of know? my favorite proverbs is the um, African proverb: "Never take advice from, never take advice or take a shirt from a naked man." <laughs> yes, I never heard that one. That's a good yes, like, one. I could make give you advice. I, I can't wait to talk to the next person and use that one. Yeah. That's awesome. I never love it. take a shirt from a naked man. That makes you think, Leslie. See, now, that needs to be pushed. They need to make posters and quotes. Nah, that's the first time I heard that one. I love it. Yes, because I, I love I it. Like, I'm going to use it. I feel like I get advice from, you know, different people. Who don't yeah. have experience, yeah. but they want to give you advice and say, you know, you yeah, it's like first. if you're going to fix a meal and you say this sucks, this is nasty. I miss something here, but then invite everybody over to eat it. Mm-hmm. But you know, we can right. talk for hours, and we have, <laughs> and we have to wrap this interview up. I know. I don't want to. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> yeah. So we will continue this yeah. conversation. We will. Off I love the air. people. And uh, we'll have you back on, but you have to give your Most contact definitely. information. Yes, I have a uh, website, www.com, the me I never, um, the me I never was, dot com backslash 
the mm-hmm. legacy of promise um dot webs dot com backslash you can leave comments stuff I had a lot of people at the me I never was website mm-hmm. charity uh, dot com. charity uh there's the mind the spirit dot com um webs dot com um, now will you have your books at the steel reunion this August? I'm gonna see. I'm gonna try to. I hope you. I'm will. gonna see. I'm gonna see. Yeah, because it's 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 really so much. I have. Oh, at Barnes and Noble, July the 11th mm-hmm. at 2 p.m. 7-11. Yes. Oh yeah. You go, girl. I love it. Two good numbers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 7-11. Yeah. Now, see, I had nothing to do with it. Okay. Uh huh. But at two o'clock, we're having charity's book launch party. Where's this? This is um, 911 Haddonfield Road, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, 08002. And we're going to blow the place out. We're going to have the children and the adults. Everybody's going to be doing the chicken, okay? I will be there with my crew, the guest crew. We're going to have music, live music is going to be there to get everybody to celebrate, you know, the freedom of knowing what to do with their wings. All right. You know, none of our wings are clipped. Um... You're There's on Facebook, Facebook Twitter, page, right? Twitter, um, author FCSH at Twitter dot com. I'm all over I'm all over Tumblr. <laughs> well, we'll have I'm you all back over on. We have to have you back on this is this is already late June. So maybe we'll have you back on for a quick five, ten minutes just to remind people yeah, to come out that. to um to Barnes and Noble and Cherry Hill, I will most. Oh yes, bring your children. I have classrooms yes. coming. We're going to blow that place out. Um, there's so much going on, Leslie. There's so much. Um, I'm right now writing um, storyboard and script for Charity as a play. Hmm. To start off, I eventually want her to go into a movie. Um, so our children have something. A uh, games. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot. And it works. Mm-hmm. I work twenty four seven. That's why people mm-hmm. don't see me too much. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a lot of energy. Um, you know, the light is up to you. And we have to close this interview out. Yes, and sister. We will continue later. But thank you as always. always and I love you. Focusing. I, and I love and you too. And everybody out there that's listening, you know, we all can share and give to each other. Yes. We yes. all give to each other. All right, so say good night. Good night. Good night.